Hey, let's pray. Father, uh, we do look forward to this time tonight of what you're gonna do, God, and, and uh, Lord, we do wanna, we wanna grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray that as we look at, at Nehemiah, and I kinda, it's kind of a great place. God is so good as we're going through some struggles and difficulties here uh, right now in this generation. Lord, we can look back and watch them work through struggles and difficulties. We can watch them power through and have some success. Tonight we're gonna see kind of a, a stressful time, a hard time, because these guys aren't acting like believers. They're acting like the world, and Lord, I pray that we would glean from this, and Lord, that we would, we would put on our Christianity, that we would get up and we would get dressed and get that full armor of God as we walk through every day, and, and Lord, as we're in difficult circumstances, as we're in, uh, we're in places we never thought we would be, and, and Lord, we're, we're confined, and I know there's some tension and difficulties, and so help us to put on that armor of God and put on Christ and reflect that to one another. And Lord, that we would walk our Christianity, not just talk about it, but we would walk it. So as we look at this and as we can glean some good, we can stay away from the bad, we can learn what we need to resist. Lord, open up our hearts and open up our minds, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you remember when we left off last week, they were building the wall and they had kind of gotten involved. We went through the genealogy, sort of, not the genealogy, but the people working on the, the wall, sort of. Well, I know we skipped most of that, but we looked at that and each family had their section. They were working on it and some families doubled up, which is a good thing, kind of giving us an encouragement. And then we got in where they're, where they're going for it and then all of a sudden came that, that uh, uh, trouble from without. The attack from the enemy from those without came against them. And when we left off, remember they were working with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other hand, supposedly. Although I don't think that works out too well. I've laid block before and, and you're gonna have to put down one or the other, just saying. But I think what's implied there is half of them had the sword Half of them were laying the block. So they're going for it, and we kind of we see that. And I don't know about you guys, but I look at that, and I think, yes. And then you read chapter 5, and you go, what happened? We have this enemy that does not want us to succeed in our Christianity. Not so much, it, listen, not so much we're going to lose our salvation, but he wants to make us as miserable as he can. And if we allow him space into the things that we're doing, he's gonna get us. And listen, he may attack us from without. And I think a lot of us are pretty privy to that. And, and we kind of we know what's coming or we can kind of see it and, and we get ready and we do it. But I think the greatest attack that can happen is the attack from within. And tonight we're gonna look at Israel's attack from within. And hey, it's within their own ranks and that can happen in the church, right? And, and we're gonna talk about that. But it can also just happen in us. We're cruising along and maybe even through this, this whole you know, social distancing, I, I don't even like that term anymore, but as we're doing that, man, we, some of us are tired of it. And all of a sudden, man, we're ready to explode and that's where we gotta watch out because that's an attack from within. And we don't need to be exploding. We, especially, we don't need to ex be exploding on each other, on our spouses, on our children. We need to be cautious of that. So the enemy wants to get us, and he wants to trip us up, 
And listen, man, he just wants to make us miserable. And so here we are, last time we were looking, man, they're glorifying God and what they're doing and they're serving. And then verse five says, and there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. So you're working on the wall. Now, I think, I think this interrupted the work. Some people said, no, it didn't. It's just, it's just chapter five just stuck in here. And, and uh, you know, it came later or before or at a different time. I think it interrupted the work, and I'll tell you why in a moment, so you have to stay and you can't just walk away. You have to pay attention and uh, not, not leave your, your device you're watching on. But the interesting thing is there's a great outcry, not just an outcry, a great outcry. People are ticked. They're angry. And here's what blows my mind. This is one of the few places in the Old Testament and even the New Testament, it says, and their wives. Remember, culturally, women didn't matter. And I'm not saying that, so don't like throw stuff at your TV or your device. Women didn't matter, they didn't count, and they're hardly ever recorded in scripture. Here, it's so bad the wives are crying out. So listen, man, can you imagine you're Nehemiah and you're cooking along, man, and everybody's working and the wall's going up and you're, woo, and you beat the enemy, man. They came after you and you kind of got everybody rallied and you're going and you're, yes, and then all of a sudden, everything comes undone and you gotta stop working. You gotta stop working, you gotta get together, you gotta work on this, this wall and try and, or I'm sorry, you gotta work on the situation instead of the wall, instead of doing what God has called you to do. Now, you gotta try and fix everything. That's a drag, and it's a drag, listen, it's a drag in the church, it's a church, listen, I think we come together and we exist here at Calvary Chapel Sierra Vista. We exist to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's why we come together in these large groups. And then we go out and we do the ministry, we minister to the world around us and we show them Christianity. So listen, man, and then all of a sudden somebody does something that explodes and you gotta kinda go put that fire out or try and take care of that instead of doing what you were called to do. Nehemiah and these people are called to work on a wall and now the people are going, whoa, look at what's happening. And hey, it's real for them. I'm not, I'm not minimizing what's going on. But what I get a little bit freaked out about is the focus. And so, listen, when we get upset and we cry out, I think the first thing we should ask ourselves is, why am I upset? Is it because it's affecting me and I'm on my mind? I know I'm always on my mind. And is it because I'm upset about what's going on with me and myself? Or is there some injustice being done and I'm upset about that? Because I think that's important because I believe, listen, I believe we're gonna see a whole bunch of selfishness here. Again, not minimizing, listen, real things happen in our lives and we have to work on them and we have to take care of them. And I get that. But how we go about it is the big difference. How we verbalize it, even how we treat one another while we're going through that, that's the big deal. So, hey, this outcry went out, and then verses two through four kind of tell us what was going on. For there were those who said, we, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, 
We have mortgaged our lands and our vineyards and our houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. And then there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our own lands and vineyards. So listen, man, we got some stuff going on here. And, and bottom line, there's three issues that are happening. Number one, there's large families and they can't feed themselves and they can't get grain for their families. There's not enough. Number two, some have left everything to work on the wall and now they don't have the money to get what they need and now they're mortgaging their homes and et cetera. And then the last thing is taxes, those stinking taxes, right? The taxes every, you know, great time, April, although our, one of our taxes do now, June or something? Okay, that's kind of cool. April? No, they changed it to June. See, we can have a conversation now because nobody else is here. <laughs> so it's supposed to be April 15th, but I heard they, they changed it to June because of, of this uh, COVID thing. So, uh, so anyway, here's the thing, man. These guys are being affected economically. Wow. Kind of correlating what's happening in our world today, isn't it? People are affected economically. And some who are not affected economically don't care about those who are affected economically. And it's just getting kind of weird. I, I, I read some of the news. I don't know about you guys, but I'm staying away from as much news as possible. But I don't want to be completely ignorant of what's going on either. And, and listen, there's some people, I think we all kind of have brains we can understand. There's some people that are really, really hurting in this time. And as a church, we should be concerned about that. We should care about that. And, and hey, some of us, we're not affected at this time. And, and it's not affecting us. And, and that's a good thing. But we should care about those who are being affected. And I kind of think that's what's going on here. But here's what I know, man. One of the issues that plagues a family, a church, a business, a country, the economy I can't tell you how many times we counsel couples because of money issues. And usually that's just kind of the, the, the low-hanging fruit to get a hold of. There's something deeper, but, but that's the catalyst. And, and, and hey, it happens. And listen, I think, I think we gotta be careful of how we allow the economic situation around us affect how we treat others. Again, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying you just ignore it and you don't deal with it, but you gotta be careful how you let that affect you, how it lets you interact with others and how you feel about others. Listen, there are times I, I you know, sometimes people get uptight, man. So-and-so's doing good and I'm hurting, therefore I should get what he has. That's weird. And it's also communism. And we can't take away, listen, we can't be doing that. And yet, as believers, listen, as believers, I think our responsibility is always to be a generous people, I know from my own experience, man, before I was saved, I was one of those guys who, you know, I didn't care much about anybody else's problems, issues, what was going on in their life. That was their problem and uh, not my problem. I was kind of, I'm gonna take care of Pat because Pat deserves everything and because I'm always on my mind and I care about myself and I didn't care about other people. And I even remember after I got saved, a good friend of mine who never even talked to me about, he never even discussed and, and uh, about, my attitude and who I was. And after I got saved, he goes, you know what, I've noticed the greatest thing, and he wasn't saved yet. And he says, you know, the greatest thing I've seen about you and your Christianity is all of a sudden, you became a generous person. 
He said, before you got saved, you were a stingy gut. I know some people don't know that term, but that was a term from the, uh, whenever I was a kid. And he goes, man, you, would, you were so tight with everything. And see, we need to be generous, even in difficult times, even in trying circumstances, we need to be a generous people. And hey, here's what I found. As you open things up, you know what? You're free. I'm not saying, and I'm not one of those people, listen, I'm not gonna tell you if you give to God, he's gonna press it down, and he's gonna give you so much more, and you're gonna have more than you could ever deal with. That's the televangelist. I'm not gonna do that. But here's what I know. It frees you. It frees your soul. It frees those burdens on you, and you're free because why? You're not hanging on to things. So we do need to be givers. I, I've shared with you guys before. Hey, when, when, when we got saved and we got serious about the Lord, we, we came up with, my, my wife and I, Gaynell and I, came up with the idea, here's how we're gonna give to God from our business because we were doing a pottery business. And we had made this thing, just her and I just sat down and here's what we're gonna do. And our friends came around, they go, you're giving too much to God. You can't do that now. And, and because we were giving, and I don't wanna get into all the details, but listen, man, I was just giving what God had put on my heart to give. Not what somebody told me, not what I was dictated, not anything, because I had read my Bible. And my Bible told me I needed to be generous. Let me, let me give you a couple passages here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the Bible says, as far as our giving and how we should act, it should be regular, thoughtful, proportional, and private. And that's what Gaynell and I decided to do. We sat down, we prayed about it, and we looked at it, and we made this decision. This is what we started doing. And then, hey, here's what I found. If you do 1 Corinthians 16, then 2 Corinthians chapter 9 just kind of happens because you're generous, and you're giving freely, and you're cheerful. I have to be honest. I've never given to God and gone, here, take it. I've always been happy to give to God. And I think that's the way we should be. And hey, we did that in our, in, our, uh, in our business and decided to do that. And here's the crazy thing. I'm not one of those who I said, okay, man, we took our business, we gave it to the Lord and we decided to give, you know, what we had put on our heart and others were criticizing us. Now, I know some people would say, and then God blessed our business and it grew and it was like just so big. You know what happened to our business? It shrunk. It got worse and worse and worse because God was calling me away from the business and God was calling me to something else. And I eventually saw that. But listen, man, we should be those kind of people. Here's what these guys are saying. We've got this burden. We can't buy enough grain because we have large families. We've been working on the wall and we don't have any money and we've had to mortgage our properties. And now, man, the taxes are killing us and, and it's a horrible time. And Nehemiah, you need to do something about it. What is Nehemiah gonna do? How is he gonna change that? All you can do is, listen, live in the circumstances you have, give those to God, and trust God in the midst of circumstances. Too often, we want him to change our circumstances. I don't know about you guys, but not very often does God change my circumstances. Oftentimes, especially if I start whining and crying, he kind of makes my circumstances a little bit tougher. Says, here, wine some more, kind of like my dad used to do. And so, listen, I know he's a loving father. So they're, they're letting Nehemiah know, and then in verse five, they say this. 
Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren. So here's what they're saying. Listen, they're saying we're like family. That's what that means. Hey, we're just like family and our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. And it is not in our power to redeem them for other men have our lands and vineyards. Here's what they're saying. We're in debt to our fellow Jews. And we're supposed to be family. And here's how they're treating us. That's horrible. That's horrible when, quote, family does that. But it's even worse, I think, when supposed family and, and you know, hey, I've read my Bible. Wasn't it King David said that, that you know, the Lord rejoices when we dwell in unity? Didn't, didn't the Lord write to them in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy three different times it came up? You are not to enslave your brethren. You're not to cause them and charge them, you know, these high, high uh, rates. You're not to do that. And here's what's going on, man. All of that went out the window. Have you, have you during this time? Have you kind of thrown your Bible out the window and said, man, it's too hard right now. It's too difficult right now. Life is too hard. And you throw the Bible out the window and guess what happens? Life gets harder and it gets tougher. With this time, man, I look at this as what a special time we have to get into God's word as we're home and, and especially as we're together. So listen, man, they threw out the word of God and now they've enslaved some of their sons and their daughters. Oh, I think we kind of tend to do that here in the, in the U.S. I think, you know, sometimes we, we'll enslave our kids because we want something special. We want to spend money on this or we want to spend money on that and, and because we have to work more hours and do more things, now our kids are, are quote, enslaved into something else. We got to be careful about that. Or we, we feed our kids into some kind of system or something that is enslaving them because we think, oh man, they got to they gotta do this, they got to excel at this, they got to excel at that. Why don't we just, you know what? Why don't we just be families, love one another, be concerned about one another and make sure, most importantly, our little guys, they're taken care of and they know that we're there as parents. So here's what they're saying, man. It is horrible. Now look at, look at I love this in a sense, Look at Nehemiah's reaction. And I became very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. Now stop there for a minute because sometimes we think that's a horrible thing. I love comparing Nehemiah and Ezra. Ezra was the, you know, he's the guy who would stop and contemplate things and think about things. And, you know, he was, he was kind of the, the slow mover. Nehemiah's like, he's angry right now. He's ready to explode. And I kind of I know how he feels. I don't think there's anything more painful in ministry than when the church begins to feed on itself and turn on itself. That is a horrible feeling. And it's horrible to watch. And, and you do get angry, especially when you watch brothers and sisters go at each other and doing things. And you're going, this shouldn't be happening. Why is this happening? And so Nehemiah's angry, man. And, and listen, sometimes we act on that anger. Now, I, I do believe, listen, I think it's Paul in Corinthians. He says we need to be angry and sin not. Maybe it's Ephesians. Maybe it's Philippians. You know what? Read First and Second Corinthians. And then uh, just, uh, you know, read the rest. Read, read Ephesians and Galatians and, and Philippians and, and get through those. But listen, man, 
you can be angry without sinning. Now, I think it's hard for most of us. I think most of us are so self-centered, we're angry because, but Nehemiah's angry here. Now, listen what he did. He heard the outcry, he's angry. And then the first part of verse seven, after serious thought. You see, saints, you can get angry, but then you need to think about it. You need to sit and mull it over, and then you need to line up your thoughts with your heart and you need to get those together, then you can do something productive because, man, listen, this guy gets extremely productive when he stops and he does that. And he says, after some serious thought, after I sat down, I got my heart and my mind together. He said, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and I said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother, so I called a great assembly against them. Here's what he did. We're gonna settle this right now in front of everybody. I kind of like that. He didn't say, you know what, I'm gonna meet with you guys over here, I'm gonna meet with you guys over here, and we're gonna have a discussion, we're gonna do this. He goes, no, you know, here's what's going on. There's a group of you that are taking advantage of people. So here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna call the whole assembly together, and we're gonna talk about this. Remember when Ezra saw sin in the camp? Remember Ezra tore his robes and sat? Nehemiah? He hits things head on, man. He's like a bull in a china closet. He says, let's go for it. Let's get this thing settled. Let's work it out. Here's what that tells me. God uses all kinds of personalities in his work. Too often we, we will criticize, maybe, maybe you know, I think I'm a more, you know, guy that I kind of, I and sometimes I blow up big time doing it, but I kind of go head on. And sometimes head on too fast because I don't stop and think about it. And then sometimes we'll criticize the person who wants to sit, like Ezra. You know what, we're all different. I know when Gaynell and I first got married, we were talking about this just the other day. Isn't this kind of downtime great to be able to talk to your spouse and, and talk about things going on? And she goes, you remember when we were first married and we had a disagreement? And I remember, I, I'm the kind, I want to settle it, I want to get it done, let's talk about it, let's work it out, let's fix it. And Gaynell's the quiet type. She's the Ezra, I'm the Nehemiah. And I'm ready to deal with it, let's deal with it. And she's going, listen, I just need to think, I just need to get away, I don't want to talk about it right now. No, we're going to talk about it right now, right now. No, I don't want to talk about it. So she went and locked herself in the bathroom because I wasn't gonna let go, right? I'm that guy, no, we're gonna do it right now. She locked herself in the bathroom and I'm beating on the bathroom door. And, and then I said, you know what, man, I'm gonna bust this door down. And I came like that close and then I remembered I would have to fix the door, so I didn't do it. But man, hey, we need to understand God makes us all different and we need to give each other space. So Ezra did it one way, Nehemiah. Now listen, man, he hits these guys head up and he goes, hey, you guys are blowing it. I'm gonna call everybody together. I don't know about, I think, I think this is true of every single person. None of us likes for our sin to be shown to everybody, right? We kinda, hey, could we just shh, He goes, no, 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 no. We're bringing everybody out, man, because you guys kinda did this publicly, and I think there is something to say about that. You can do something publicly, I think almost needs to be declared publicly. But if you do something privately, maybe private that needs to take place. But these guys were ripping people off publicly. Hey, it was known they were doing that, so here's what he did in verse seven. He said, and I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to other nations. Here's what he's saying, we have worked really hard 
hard. Ever since Israel got released to come back and build things, we have even bought our brethren from other nations to bring them back here. He goes, you guys have been involved in that. I've been involved in that. And he goes, we redeem them. And he says, now indeed, will you even sell your brother? And here's what he's saying. Why are you enslaving your own brethren that you got out of slavery and now you're enslaving them? What is the matter with you? Or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and they found nothing to say. When you get busted, this is for people getting busted. When you get busted, you need to learn from these guys. Zip it. Just take it. The worst thing you can do is yeah, but. I'm a, I'm a big yeah, butter. Yeah, but you don't. Yeah, but this. Yeah, but that. You know when Jesus separates the sheep and the goats? You know what the difference between sheep and goats are? Goats yeah, but all the time. So think about that next time you're yeah button and making an excuse. So hey, here's what he's saying, man. These guys just zip it. I kind of love that. I, they're kind of sitting there, and I think part of it, they're a little bit shell-shocked. Part of it, they're freaking out a little bit, and they're just like looking at Nehemiah like, I can't believe you're doing this, man. I cannot believe this. Then Nehemiah said to them in verse 9, what, are you do- what you are doing is not good. Seriously? Seriously, I kind of I have to chuckle at that. What you're doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? Here's what he's saying. What's the matter with you guys? Why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you fear God? You guys know what Exodus says. You know what Deuteronomy says. You know what Leviticus says. And you don't care. Saints are that where some of us are at right now in the midst of this thing that we're dealing with. We know what the Bible says. We know what we should be doing. But we're not afraid of God. Oswald Chambers is a great guy to read. Anything Oswald Chambers wrote is good to read. But listen to this quote. He says, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas, if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. And these guys were acting in fear, and he's going, listen, man, if you had the fear of God, you wouldn't be doing this because you wouldn't be afraid of things, you wouldn't be taking advantage of people, because when you take advantage of things, all you uh, people, all you're doing is exhibiting the fact that you're afraid about what's gonna happen. And he goes, why are you doing this? And he goes, listen, now we're a reproach to our enemies. The enemies around them are going, hey, we don't have to stop them. I can kind of hear Sanballat and Tobiah going, Pfft. These guys are gonna implode, so let's just stop what we're doing and let's just watch them implode. Church, we're supposed to be an example to the world. The world's supposed to look at us and go, wow, I want what they have. They shouldn't be looking at us going, I don't want what they have. They're fighting, hey, we're not a club. We're not the Kiwanis or Rotary Club or whatever. We're the church of Jesus Christ. We're his body. So listen, and then this one kind of blows my mind. Look at verse 10. Verse 10's kind of in there, and it's funny how many commentators didn't even deal with verse 10. I also, with my brethren and my servants, am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. Wow. Is that a little bit of confession there from Nehemiah? Seems like Nehemiah was doing pretty well. And I'm not sure he was overcharging them, 
But here's what he's saying. I haven't got involved in this. And maybe it's because he saw a lot of this going on. And Nehemiah's maybe thinking, Psh, if everybody else is doing this, right? I want a little taste. I want part of that. I want to see if I can get some of that. And now, listen, now he does a little confessing. Confessing is good for the soul. Letting God know you know you did something wrong. It's not so much a God needs to know, it's that you need, to, you need to let him know you know. And listen, he says, now let's stop. Let's don't do this. And then, and then I think he kind of hits them between the eyes. Verse 11, restore now to them even this day their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, and also a hundredth of the money and the grain and the new wine and the oil that you have charged them. Here's what he's saying. You give everything back to them and then also the interest that you charge them because you were ripping them off. And the hundredth, you know, you can kind of add it all up and they were probably charging them 12% annual rate. That's pretty high, right? So they're ripping them off. He says, give it back to them. Give back what you took from them. And let's call it good. So, verse 12, so they said, okay, we will do it. We'll restore it, and we will require nothing from them, and we will do as you say. Now, Nehemiah, Nehemiah knows human nature. Okay, God, how many times have you told God you're sorry for something, and you turned around and you did that like five days later? People in here are shaking their heads. I'm thinking you're shaking your head at home. And Nehemiah knows human nature. They're going, okay, we'll take care of it. And they got their fingers crossed behind their back, right? We'll do it. And so Nehemiah, listen, he's no fool. Look at the middle, at the middle there in, in verse 12. Then I called the priest and I required an oath from them that they would do according to their promise. Hey, I'm not gonna let you guys, you guys, listen, we're gonna make this official. We're gonna call the priest and you guys are going to do this. And again, it's horrible when the better off take advantage of the worser off. And he says, let's just fix this. Let's just make it happen. And then, verse 13, I shook out the fold of my garment and I said, so may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord. Then the people did according to the promise. Yes! You see, sometimes the only way you're gonna bring peace is by bringing everything out in the light. And I know that in my own heart. Hey, if I sin and I try and hide it and I try and not talk about it to the Lord and try and keep it down, here's what happens, man. It starts eating away at me and it starts destroying me. But when I come to God and I bring it out in the light, I'm set free from that sin. And that's what's going on here. Here the people said, amen, yes, let's see that happen. Now let's move on and, and I can kind of see them, man. Let's get back to the wall. Let's get this wall finished. But first, Nehemiah wants to talk a little bit about himself. Verse 14, moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the, 12th, or from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. Here's what he's saying, man. I was governor for 12 years. That's not a short time. So this is kind of a thing afterwards, right? Towards the end, and we're gonna find out he served another 12 years. But this is kind of towards the end of the building. Here's what he said, man. I came here 
I didn't take from you guys. I didn't eat the governor's provision. I took care of myself. Now, maybe Nehemiah was well off, and sometimes we get jealous of well-off people, and we need, to, we need to watch that attitude. Maybe he was well off. But here's what he's saying, man. I didn't take from you, and I didn't take the governor's provisions that I could have. And then he says, all those before me, look at verse 15. But former governors who were before me laid burdens on people, and took from them bread and wine, besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servant, even their uh, servants bore rule over the people, but I, did not, but I did not do so because the fear of the Lord. You see, Nehemiah had a fear of God. He didn't take advantage of people, although he could have. He said, listen, I'm in a position, I could have taken advantage of you. And you gotta love him as an example of leadership, whether it's leadership period in the business world or whether it's leadership in the church. He says, I did not take advantage of my position, nor did I take advantage of people. Why? Because I had a fear of God. You know, I think, listen, once again, man, that's an area when you start fearing God, you start backing off from everything that could corrupt you. And we're careful about how we live. And he says, that's what was going on. Indeed, verse 16, I also continued the work on this wall and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. Here's what he says. I worked on a wall. Did me, Nehemiah have to work on a wall? No. He's the governor. He could have said, you, 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 and you go to work on a wall. I'm gonna sit back in a governor's mansion. It's hard not to say anything right now. Don't do it. <laughs> As I sit back in the governor's mansion, you go get a fix. So we're gonna leave it there right now. Let that dog lie on the porch. He could have done that, but here's what he said, man. I worked on the wall, and my servants worked on the wall, and we were there right beside you. You gotta love this guy, right? Because listen, I think if you're involved in ministry, you gotta be involved all the way in ministry. And you gotta do things, and you know, hey, some days you may have to, you know what? You may have to clean the toilet, so what? I don't think any pastor on our staff is above cleaning toilets. May just have to do that because that needs to get done. One day you may be, I may be in a pulpit, tomorrow I might be cleaning the toilet. That's fine. That's what Nehemiah is saying. That's what we do. We work. And then, and then he says, listen, he says in verse 17, check this out, man. Now, as a pastor, I'm not doing this. Verse 17, he says, at my table were 150 Jews and rulers besides those who came to us from the nations around us. He goes, hey, every night I had dinner for at least 150 people and then came the nations around us. That's a big ask, isn't it? And look at what they cooked. This blows my mind. He says, now that which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep also fowl were prepared for me, and once every 10 days, an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yes, in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on this people. Where did he come up with this? Now, I don't know about you guys, but when he says an ox, that's a whole cow. I've never even sat with people who ate a side of beef, much less both sides, both sides and six sheep and a bunch of, a bunch of fowl. That sounds like some people estimate that what's, what's spoken of here would feed 300 people. 
That's a lot of people to feed every night. Man, would that be fun? I want to go to Nehemiah's for dinner. Just like a, a whole, you cook the whole ox? Mmm. I love lamb. You, everybody else can have the fowl. I'll eat this stuff. Man, I'm not thinking how good that must have been. And he says, listen, I did this from my own provisions. I didn't take the governor's provisions. This came from my stuff, which tells me he was well off. Nehemiah was a well-off dude. He says, I, I provided this, and he was there 12 years. Kind of do the math. He was there 12 years, and he did that every day for 12 years. That's a lot to do. And I don't think he's complaining. I just think he's saying, here's what's going on with my ministry. He's being open. And then I love this last part. Look at verse 12 or verse 19. Remember me, my God, for good according to all that I have done for this people. Now listen, he's not saying I want to earn my salvation and I want to earn merit with God. He's saying, God, for their sake, remember what I've done. I cared about these people. I laid it all on the line. He's not saying, God, now raise me up and make me great. He's saying, hey, I just want you to know I did what I did because first and foremost, I love God. Secondly, I love the people. Saints, that's what ministry's all about. And here's what blows my mind. All of this is after he dealt with them. And people are all mad and eating at each other and chewing each other out. And he goes, hey, you know what? Why don't we stop doing that and start going forward with what God has called us to do? Saints, never get your eyes off of what God has called you to do and go forward with what God has given you and what God, the way God has put you together, and you just go. I believe in our ministry, I have, a, I have a, a heart for moving forward in ministry. I don't wanna stay back. Hey, I know people that talk about the 70s and the Jesus People Movement, and I've done a lot of reading and a lot of research about that. Had to be a wonderful time, but guess what? We're not living in the 70s anymore. The 70s were 50 years ago. How does that make some of you feel? We're not there anymore. We're in a whole different, we're ministering in the midst of something that's never happened in our, I never thought I would be teaching to a camera and five people and the whole place be empty, but that's what we're doing. And we're gonna do that with all of our heart. And we're gonna serve God and we're gonna do what he's put in front of us and we're gonna go forward. I've told some people in, on staff before who aren't on staff anymore, I said, listen, the bus is leaving, you can either get on the bus or let the bus run over you but we're not waiting, we're going forward. And I believe that with all of my heart and ministry, we need to go forward. And we can either all get on, or if you don't wanna get on, get out of the way and let us go forward. Because I wanna see, listen, I wanna see our community on fire for Jesus. And I want it to start here in this fellowship. So if you're ripping people off tonight, stop it. Stop ripping people off. I don't think too many of you are in a position to rip people off, but you might be. So if you are, stop it. If you're gouging, if you're doing something creepy, stop doing that. Get the fear of God in your heart and, and, and get that. Hey, families, if you're ripping your kids off spiritually, 
so they can be part of something or you can be part of something or whatever. Stop doing that. That's enslaving them. Bring them back. Bring them to the place where, where they can grow and learn and want to enjoy God and you need to be that example. And then here's what I know. We're all leaders. Maybe not to the same degree, but we're all leaders. And saints, let's do this with integrity. Let's do this not for ourselves, but let's be Nehemiah and let's do it for God and his people. And let's be busy about it. And we have an opportunity right now to do some great things. So let's do that. Hey, let's all stand up and we're gonna close in prayer. Father, we do thank you again, God, for your word. I thank you for your challenge here with Nehemiah. And, and Lord, I know, I know that happened millenniums ago. And I know sometimes we can just write it off to that, but here's what else I know. Flesh is flesh. And we have to battle that flesh, whether it's back in Nehemiah's day or it's 2020. Whether it's in the midst of great times or whether it's in the midst of some difficult times. And God, I pray. I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would put on the full armor of God. That we would put on Christ our Savior. And we would walk this thing we call Christianity, that we would flesh it out, not that we would get in the flesh, but we would flesh out this thing we say we believe in front of the world. Right now, right now, the world is in a place where we need to shine brightly and we need to show them Christianity at its highest form, not at its lowest form. And so, Lord, I know, I know there's frustration. I know it's difficult. I know some of us, we, we get out of the house and maybe we go shopping and it wasn't what we thought or what we needed wasn't there or whatever, and we can get angry and get edgy. But, Lord, I pray that you would make us men and women who shine brightly in our homes. Man, don't let us bicker against one another. We're families. We're on the same teams so God, I pray that you would resolve that. Our hearts would turn tender towards you and towards one another. And God, reign in our hearts, reign in our homes right now. Be glorified and heal those. Lord, some are hurting emotionally right now in deep, deep ways. And I pray for your spirit right now to just come upon them and heal them. Some are hurting physically. Heal their bodies, Lord. Touch them. And God, bless your people in a mighty way. And I'm gonna ask all of us to stay in that attitude of prayer. And there might be one or two people who have tuned in on, on Facebook or happened across our app or whatever, and they may be watching. Maybe it's a family member sitting right next to you, and they've never asked Jesus to forgive their sins. Tonight is a night to do that. Right now, I'm talking to you. If you've never done that, I want you to open your eyes. I want you to look at your device. I'm looking at you and I'm, I'm telling you right now, man, you need to come to Christ. You need your sins forgiven. You need to be washed clean. And the only way that's gonna happen is for you to humble yourself, ask Jesus to forgive your sins and ask him to come into your life. 
You see, your sins separate you from God and your sins have earned you the only one thing, that's eternal punishment. And Jesus went on a cross, took that punishment for you and now he holds out to you this, this receipt that says paid in full. And if you wanna receive that, then you know what? I want you to say this prayer with me. Right there in your home, just call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Repeat this prayer with me. Jesus, tonight I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. Right now, I'm asking you, Jesus, to forgive me. Thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you tonight for your forgiveness. And now I want you to come into my heart and change me, God. I want you to come into my life and guide me. Tonight I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. And all of us are looking forward to what you're gonna do in our lives, God. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you said that prayer with me at the end, uh, you know what, welcome to the family of God. We're excited, we'd love to be there clapping with you and rejoicing with you, but we can't. But hey, if you did that, I'm gonna ask you, shoot us a note at 520-210-3678. Let us know you did that. We'll guide you on our website. We have the new believers information. You can go there, you can get that information to help you grow. Then, hey, if you want us to contact you, let us know and we'll contact you and we'll, we'll uh We'll be there for you. So please let us know if you, if you accepted Jesus tonight.